There's, a, there's actually two readings, starting with Matthew. Oh, sorry. And um, Matthew 27, 45 to 56. The death of Jesus. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran out and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. In Galatians 3 verses 1 to 14. It's entitled, Faith or the Observance of the Law. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After Beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it, was re if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit.
In the true story about God, the world, and us, Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, has arrived to bring blessing to all the earth. At his baptism, God himself declares from heaven that Jesus is his chosen king. So watch, listen, follow. Jesus will pour out God's spirit, bringing spiritually dead people to life. He will build God's true temple, bringing forgiveness of sins. He will renew all creation. We glimpse his kingship as he commands wind and waves, calms human storms, touches the untouchable, and loves the unlovable. Yet it's the way Jesus is finally revealed as God's King, which is the greatest surprise. It's a shock. It's a scandal. Jesus brings fulfillment to all God's promises by being nailed to a cross. Humanity's grasping hands since the Garden of Eden find their match in the praying hands of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and in his bloodied, nail-pierced, obedient hands on a cross. Jesus makes peace. Jesus builds God's temple in his own body by dying and rising three days later. Jesus takes Israel's curse on himself so that all peoples might be blessed. His blood flows on the cross so that God's spirit might flow into every heart. He bears your sin that it might be forgiven. He bears your shame that it might turn to joy. He bears your death slain by it that he might slay death forever. As Jesus dies on the cross outside Jerusalem, the temple curtain is torn in two. It is needed no more. Jesus, God's eternal temple, is here. Jesus. God's eternal King is here. And by trusting in Jesus, people from all over the world can become children of Abraham, sons and daughters of God, living with Him forever. God's people in God's place under God's King. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all. Um, I'm preaching again today because Paul's down in Sydney. I'm actually heading down to Sydney tomorrow to join him as well. We've got a conference that we're going to together. Which um, So pray for us down there. It's called Oxygen Conference. It's for people working in ministry. It's like uh, meant to be like a breath of fresh air or some oxygen for, to refresh, um, refresh us, I guess. So pray that that would be the case. Um, and yeah, it's also a blessing I get to be down there while my nephew has his operation. So hopefully I can spend some time with my sister. Um, but yeah, we get to continue to look at uh, the Bible in 10, the story of the Bible broken into 10 parts. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So if you're joining us for uh, the first time or for a bit of a one-off today, we are in that context of this bigger series like that video kind of summarizes for us but either way let's pray that God would um, be speaking to us through his word this morning. Our loving father and our God we thank you that you're a God that has spoken and acted and Lord you have acted through uh, your, 
your, your prophets and your people. Lord, you've acted through Jesus, Lord, to bring uh, us back to you and into relationship with you. And Lord, you have spoken to us. So Lord, we pray that we would be people that uh, listen and believe and, and have faith in the words that you have spoken, the promises that you have made to us. So Lord, I pray that what I speak today might um, bring uh, some, some greater understanding and Lord, might be an encouragement to us here, Lord, to put our faith solely in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know, have you ever been in a, in a traffic jam? I've never fortunately lived anywhere uh, close to where a traffic jam would happen. Um, the biggest place I ever lived was Armadale. Um, and I don't know whether I've used this illustration before or not. I probably have. I've been preaching long enough. You start to repeat yourself, don't you? But... Um, I remember one morning, this is the scariest kind of traffic incident I've had, we, we organised to test drive a, a brand new Toyota Corolla and it was had nice red paint on it and stuff, so it was a pretty shiny, fancy looking car, but we, we booked it to get in before work, so we booked it for an 8.30 test drive, which of course is when everyone's going, like when it's going crazy and all the schools... Um, have parents lining up out the front trying to drop their kids off to them. Now, in Armadale, it's a bit of a funny design. If you drive along one street from one school, you'll actually end up at another school. And if you take a right there, you'll actually go along that street and there's another school there. And if you hang a right there, then you end up at another school. Within a few blocks, you could nearly, you know, run between them. There's these four primary schools. And it that's the course, for some reason, that we took test driving this brand new car. So I didn't buy it because I couldn't really open it up and find out what it did as a, as a car, but um, it was a bit bit sketchy. But this has got nothing on this picture here. This is a real picture from a traffic jam that happened in um, Beijing a few years ago. This traffic jam lasted for 12 days. Now, I'm sure there would have been, you know, some entrepreneurial people running around with little tuk-tuks selling food to the people stranded out in there but this gridlock jammed up over kilometres and kilometres and if you do an image search for it you'll get um, bigger pictures than that but this traffic jam went on for days and thinking about a traffic jam there's just nowhere to go nowhere to move there's no seemingly way through it and time after time as we've looked at the people that the Bible puts out there as uh, the people that God has raised up or the people that have been given uh, the promise of God, there's something that keeps them in a gridlock as well. There's something that, that stops it from having any traction, any momentum from opening up at all. That big problem time and time again of sin. Of the brokenness that exists between us and God. And so, of course, we know as Christians that the answer to this problem is the cross. The cross of Jesus is where the gridlock opens up, where sin is finally dealt with. Now, rather than kind of having Easter in June, 
we're actually looking mainly at that passage in Galatians today. And in this letter in Galatians, of Galatians, this New Testament letter, we actually get this sense of how the cross, how the death of Jesus fits into this big story of the Bible. As Karen read chapter 3 for us, Paul there is describing to the Galatians how bad our human situation is, how serious this gridlock is, the utter depth of sin and the shame that sin brings. See, in that passage, it talks of Jesus as clearly portrayed as crucified on a cross. That's what it takes to deal with our sin, to deal with our shame, to do the thing that we can't do for ourselves. The message of the cross is that Jesus dies to bring the forgiveness that we need. And the big result is that people who place their trust in Jesus are adopted into God's family. That we become the loved sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Because of the cross, we have forgiveness for sins. And this is serious stuff. Later in Galatians, it lists out some of these sins. See, sometimes we might pretend that we don't do or have any of these bad things in this list, like sexual immorality or impurity or debauchery. Look at what it says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Sometimes we might pretend that we don't do any of the bad things, but I've only got to start to read through it. And I feel the conviction. You will feel the conviction if you're being honest with yourself. Our love of money, our sexual misbehaviour, our unwillingness to forgive others, our selfish behaviour at work are examples of the very things that sent Jesus to the cross. The very things for which Jesus has paid that debt in full. That we might become God's loved and adopted sons and daughters. In the life of Jesus, the the thing that comes just before the cross is the meal of the Lord's Supper. As he gathers his disciples together to celebrate the Jewish Passover festival. Jesus instructs us to recall how his death on the cross pays the price in full for these sins. Do you ever think and do you ever, as you live your Christian life, wonder, I feel so wrong and so bad, how can I ever really be known and forgiven and loved by God? Well, today our focus is to see that our debt is indeed paid in full. That we can be known and forgiven and loved by God. So like I said, today is our eighth week in this series of the Bible in 10, following the true story of God and the world and us. So I want to just recap where we've been. The story begins with God's good, blessed creation, but it quickly becomes cursed. Cursed because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God. 
They sin and what happens? They're banished from God's good place. But then God promises to do something about the problem. Starting with the man Abraham to bring that blessing back to earth. To restore what was lost. God focuses that problem, promise of Abraham on his chosen king. And even in King David, we get this glimpse of a king who deals with the shame of his people and starts to bring some of that blessing. An example of this is the story of David and Goliath, which we didn't touch on. But if you think about it in these terms, over Israel's borders comes this giant Philistine called Goliath. He was a monster. He was nearly three meters tall. And Goliath comes to the borders of Israel and he's mocking and and putting shame on Israel. He's calling into question, where is their God? He's shaming them. And no one, it seems, can beat this massive enemy until a very young and weak-looking David steps up. And with a passion to remove the disgrace that's being felt, to remove this shame, David steps up with humility and confidence in the God that he knows, that he has this relationship with. And so just picture it. Israel's army drops their weapons and young David steps up with the unlikeliest little weapon a little slingshot and a few stones Israel stepped back and God's chosen king steps up and he wins the battle that they couldn't win for themselves and it looks so close to being fulfilled it looks like that promise is coming to fruition. If only David had stayed the sort of king, this sort of king for his people. Because we know what happens after this. Do you remember the next part of his story? This tragic reversal where David sends out the army, stays back in Jerusalem, calls for Bathsheba, a woman who's not his wife, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, sees his sin, tries to cover it up, sending her husband into the front lines essentially to his own death, sending himself where David himself should have been. But like all our sins, God sees it and it displeases him. So God can't be the king that will remove the shame from his people. In fact, he brings shame on his people. And so now the promise, the story of the Old Testament searches for someone who will come in David's line, someone who will come like David but not fall like David. A shame removing David, not the shame bringing David. And it's certainly not his son, his son Solomon, he starts well, but if you go back to that list of sins in Galatians, you can nearly tick Solomon off for all of them, for his greed, his debauchery, his sexual immorality, his idolatry. And then God's people 
are in exile, wandering back in the wilderness like they were after God had raised up Moses and brought them out of slavery. And this is where Jesus fits in. This is where Jesus comes into the picture. We need to understand this. This is really helpful for us understanding the depth of and richness of who Jesus actually is. We're introduced to Jesus as, as our Savior. We're, we're invited to follow Jesus as Christians. But understanding God's Word actually means seeing all this together. That's what's been I've found really helpful out of this Bible talk series. But Jesus comes in, and, and we remember from last week that He was shown to be a descendant of Abraham, shown to be the true son of David, the one who comes to remove the shame that David himself got caught up in, comes to remove the shame of sin. Who the night before he dies on the cross at the last supper with his followers, takes this cup of wine and says it represents his life his blood, his life that's going to be given, shed on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And finally, forgiveness is here. As Jesus hangs on the cross, taking the judgment we deserve, God provides the way for you to come to God. He provides the way for me and for us to come to God. While Jesus is on the cross, one of the things that the gospel records is happening is the tearing of the temple curtain from top to bottom, representing that the way is now open to God. That can only be true because shame has been removed, because sin has been dealt with. This symbolic temple is no longer needed. Because Jesus' death does what the temple symbolically did. And it's kind of surprising who takes note of this. There's this almighty earthquake that happened while Jesus was on the cross. And we learn that this centurion, this Roman guard, there guarding Jesus, was actually an executioner of Jesus. It's one of the first to notice and respond who Jesus is, saying, surely he was the Son of God. Surely he is the King, the King of kings. Jesus had said to another one of these centurions earlier in the story that people like him who trust in Jesus, people from the east and the west, all over, will join the eternal party will become true descendants of Abraham, adopted into this family of people who have been promised these good things from God, this forgiveness from God. And at the moment that Jesus dies, another centurion believes. It teaches us that at the cross, this is when it starts, it's on. God's true king who doesn't stay dead, as we'll look at next week, officially launches this mission from east to west. All nations being gathered up, cleaned up, 
and adopted into the family by faith. People from all nations receiving the blessing that God promised way back to Abraham, the forgiveness of our sins and our adoption into God's family. This is the centerpiece of the true story of God. This is where it's at. Jesus dying on a cross to forgive my sin, to forgive your sin, to love us, to gather us up, to adopt us, to be part of the blessed family that he promised to Abraham. Think of the great joy on God's face, that joy for me as his loved child that joy for you as his loved child, that joy for us as his loved family, a church celebrating that Jesus did what we can't do for ourselves, removing our sin and shame and bringing us home to him. Through the Bible, you see this time and time again. Through the New Testament, Paul writes it to the Roman Christians this way, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, no condemnation. Instead, we're adopted into God's family. The spirit you received brought about your adoption. In Hebrews, we see the same pattern. As God says to the Jewish Christians, in Hebrews, Jesus scorned the shame of the cross and instead now celebrates the cross because it brings many sons and daughters home to God. We've got to ask ourselves, is this the way we see ourselves? Is this how you see yourself? Not condemned, but forgiven. Adopted by the God to whom you can cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Loved by the Jesus who is not ashamed to own you as his brother and sister. Is that the place that you keep returning to? In Christ, we receive hope. We receive hope of a future where everything is set right. And next week, as we look at the resurrection, we will know more and more and we'll learn more and more about the hope that we have in Jesus. But we can't overlook the fact that in Jesus right now, with our faith placed firmly in Him, The guilt and shame of our sin is not something that we ought to live with. In Jesus, we have the freedom to live without guilt, without shame. In glory, we will be without sin. But Jesus and his cross invites us to keep bringing our sin before him, laying it down. And coming to him as our father. What was going on for the Galatian Christians? Well, someone had been keep telling them that, the, that everything would be okay if they worked really hard at keeping the Old Testament law. And the problem is that while God's laws are good, they actually do something else. They actually shine a light on, on our problem, on our sinfulness. They bring us under judgment the Ten Commandments that are up there 
they're all pretty negative. They all tell us what not to do. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why are they so negative? Because they're written to a sinful people. How does Jesus reinterpret them to his freed people, to his people that are removed of sin and shame? Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. That pretty much sums up column A and column B, doesn't it? That's the difference that our life lived in faith makes. In Galatians, Paul puts it this way. The good news is that Jesus dealt with that judgment at the cross. He took the curse upon himself, becoming a curse for us. Jesus has been shamed, so we don't have to live with it. And so, from Galatians, we don't get into God's family, nor do we stay in God's family by what we do or by our performance, but it is only by faith. Just like Abraham, we believe we are God's loved sons and daughters. And so what will it be with us? How will we continue to live our Christian life? When that is the basis of our message, when are the times that you're tempted to move away from that or that you confuse that? Are you in the habit of getting caught up in some kind of sin and letting shame and guilt build back up around you? Are you reluctant to bring that back to the cross, lay it down and live with the freedom that Jesus has brought for us? Might you be like these Galatian Christians were getting concerned about being right, getting fixated on your performance now as a Christian? What stops us from seeing ourselves as God's loved, forgiven and adopted sons and daughters? This is where we really got to remember that we're brought into a family. The big part of this is that God has given us one another. When we're dealing with stuff we've messed up with or with others in our community, when we've messed up, We've got to remember that God gives us each other to point us back to the cross. Having that vulnerability with one another to actually open up and share and, and encourage and having the right mindset to point one another back to Jesus himself. And not only that, this is the message that we have to take out. This is the message that we're sent out with. The cross of Jesus, remembering that what Jesus has done for us is not for us alone, but for us to be sharing, to be taking to our friends and family around us who, at the bottom of all their problems that they have to deal with, is the guilt and the shame that they feel for the wrong terms, for the compromises, for the sin in their own life, whether they'll call it that or not. If you're dealing with stuff where you've messed up, always come back to the cross. Remember that 
here is where God delights to adopt you into his family. To adopt one another into his family. And delighting to love us as our Heavenly Father. And let's pray. Our loving Father, we give you great thanks for the adoption that you perform, the, the cleaning of our sin and the acceptance into your family. Lord, we thank you for the family that you're building here. Lord, for the way that you're growing us the way that you're shaping us and moulding us to be more and more like Jesus. And we acknowledge that that only comes from your Spirit's work in our life. Lord, we pray that you would help us to not live as orphans, but to live as adopted children of yours. Help us to accept and to be clear in our understanding that Jesus has truly paid the price in full for us. And help us to know and experience daily the love that has motivated you to act in this way. Lord, to remove the shame, to remove the curse of sin and to give us the freedom of knowing you as our Heavenly Father. Lord, reorient our life daily to those truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.